0: You're listening to the Hub City Church podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Good morning. Uh, I'm Greg, one of the elders here, and uh, really pleased to be able to just really, I hope, a bit of a conversation with you um, about, uh, I think, a really important passage in both the book of Matthew and book of Isaiah, um, and uh, I want to let you know just maybe it's a warning or something like that, that, that I won't go through this verse by verse. I'm going to organize it around a set of questions that I think arise when I read this passage. I promise you I'll cover all the verses, so um, hopefully that will be okay. But I just have to, as I read the passage over and over again, and then start reading what other people wrote about the passage, uh, the verse... A series of questions that rose in my thinking, um, and one of them, uh, Steve already mentioned, this thing about the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of a big concept, and, and we like to use the word, but how, do we, how well do we understand what it is? What does it mean? And so I want to talk about that a little bit, and uh, then I want to talk a little bit about uh, who are the people that God has chosen to carry that message? Certainly, we see Jesus uh, doing it in this passage, but Maybe there are others as well. And then I want to end with, I think, the way every sermon ends with, so what does it mean to us? Um, how do we take this home and uh, apply it to our own lives? So hopefully that makes sense, and, uh, and we're going to dive into that. Uh, but if you would join me, I'm going to pray first. Lord God, your word is a light that shines in the darkness of the world and in the darkness that is sometimes in us. I pray that as we seek to answer these questions that are raised in today's passage, that is your word that we hear and your spirit that will work among us to shine that light and reveal to us more of who we are, and especially who we are in you. Amen. So it's interesting. The message is only nine words. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I'd like to think that there are two critical pieces to this message that I want to focus on. The first one is trying to understand the word repent. No, it's probably not our favorite word. Uh, Not the way I start every morning. Maybe it should be, uh, but it isn't. And it's really interesting that uh, in this passage, the first word in the message Isn't a polite invitation, it's a command. It's repent for the kingdom of God, is at hand. And if we think about it, it's not really all that new of a message. All we know is two chapters, actually a chapter before this one, and we hear John the Baptist saying exactly the same thing. And if we go back into the Old Testament, we hear the word. Repent. Turn away. And looking forward, we see that word again. And I want to focus on, just for a second, uh, the first message in what we would consider the church. Uh, On uh, Pentecost, uh, Peter preaches to the masses, and he talks about all that has happened in the life of Jesus, looking back and saying, and and, 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 the people, and the people who are listening are struck by his message. And they say to him, well, what do we do? And he says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I just want to call out, there's a continuity to this message, The difference is that Jesus is the message. John the Baptist points toward it. Peter points back to it. But Jesus stands in front of us and says, I am. So I'm going to talk about what does that mean when Jesus says it? And why does it matter to us? But well, the Hebrew word for r- repent means specifically to turn away. And the Greek word for repent means to change one's mind. Not just in general, but specifically in relation to sin. Repent is not just to feel bad. is isn't just even to confess our sins. It is to turn away from sin and turn towards God. It's a reorienting of our nature. Big thing. I'd go on to, um, just to say that this is something that matters throughout the Bible. And I just refer to uh, Paul's words in Acts 20. It says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance, have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly, this is why Jesus gives it to us as a command. It matters. It's important. And it's necessary for all. None of us, me, can come into this and go, well, I'm, I'm going to start over here. I want to skip this repent part and just start with the kingdom. Repent matters. Reminds me of, um, of a favorite author, uh, Frederick Bietner, and Rod back there laughing. Um, and I love this quote from him. Uh, this is a book uh, called "Telling the Truth." It's a book that he wrote to other pastors, other ministers, and he says this: He says the gospel is bad news before it is good news. He says it because it's the news that man is a sinner, to use the old word, that he is evil in the imagination of our heart, and that is a tragedy. But it's also the good news that. He is loved anyway, cherished and forgiven. The gospel means good news. Literally, that's what the word means. But it starts with bad news because we must acknowledge and turn away from the sin in order for it to be good news for us. I have an old pastor friend when I was younger because I had questions about this. And he would say to me, We can experience grace only to the extent that we acknowledge our need for it. That's what repentance is. I come to God with a need. That is the message of repentance, admitting to who we are and what we need from him. So, Let's go on to that second part of Jesus' message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, uh, depending on uh, which uh, gospel you're reading uh, or where it comes. I'd like to jump for a quick over to Luke, because um, he some, says something's a little more personal. He says, uh, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or if you read the King James Version, he says, the kingdom of God is within you. Pretty personal. Now, no matter how you interpret that passage, the important thing is that the kingdom of God is here, and now it is present. Okay, it is not really something to hope for in the future. For us to fully understand who we are and the message of Christ, we must understand that the kingdom of God is now, now, here. But it's not like any kingdom that we're used to. Jesus himself says, you may remember, uh, when he is in front of Pilate uh, right before his crucifixions, uh, Pilate asks him, so you say you're a king, And Jesus says, yes, but my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. Now, so I think that's a little confusing, and I love to dive into things that are confusing. So first, the kingdom is now, it's within you, it's present. And then Jesus says, well, the kingdom is from another place. What does that all mean how do we bring those verses together how is that possible well the key is that jesus's kingdom is radically different than the way of we are used to think of kingdoms going on a limb here i'm going to quote somebody who is radically non-christian because i think sometimes they see things that we take for granted. And so I want to read this quote for you. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and the other religions the distance of infinity. Alexander, Char- Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon sheer force. Christ alone built his empire upon love. And it is at this hour that millions of men will die for him. Every other existence but that of Christ, how many imperceptible. Imperfections. Well, that's Napoleon who said that. Very interesting. Might be interesting to note that the word love is mentioned in the Bible, specifically in the New International Version, 551 times. The word hate only shows up 80 times. I wonder. I want to quote a theologian and author, Anthony Bradley, who writes, the primary operating practice and character of the kingdom of God is love. God is the author of love and his rule over all of life is an extension of his love. To help his followers understand the dynamic reign and the rule of the kingdom of God, he sums up what it means to be properly human by teaching that the greatest commandment for us is to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The primary operating practice and character of the kingdom of God is love, but it is no easy love. It isn't the kind of love that we get together and just gather and we love our buddies and uh, say, love you, man, that, uh, that isn't it isn't it? Quote Matthew again, and this is Jesus talking. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven kingdom. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? I'd like to emphasize that because you remember what Matthew was? He's a tax collector. So he knows exactly what this means. He says, yeah, I, I can live in that world where love is a quid pro quo, where it's an exchange, a transaction. But that isn't the love of the kingdom. Love of the kingdom it's a kingdom love. It is God's love. And as a kingdom that is present and here among us, it is a love that, as the people of the kingdom, we are called to practice ourselves. Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So I think that's the message. It's a deeper message when I understand, gosh, what is this kingdom God is calling me to? And what is. Well, What's my place in it? And how does it operate? It operates around love. The next thing I want to talk about is, so who is it that God is choosing to carry that message? Certainly Jesus, but others too. And, so, and I'd like to suggest there might be a pattern to who God chooses. Maybe we forget this, but God could have chosen anyone. He didn't have to choose Isaiah. He didn't have to choose Matthew. He didn't have to choose any of these people. And God, he didn't have to come in in the manner that he did, but he did. And I'd like to suggest that there's some intent in that. And I think it tells us something about the kingdom when we think about what that intent is. First of all, let's talk again about Matthew. We've heard before. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector by profession. I just want to make sure we all know what that means. It means that he is under the employment and he has uh, collaborated with the operating and oppressive Roman Empire. He was considered a traitor by his own country. He's made a living off of what we call graft, if you're familiar with that word. That means he charged a little more than he had to in his taxes, and he kept a portion for himself. The Pharisees grouped the tax collectors with the lowest of people, the sinners who gathers around Jesus in, you know, Matthew's house, it was taxpayers, tax collectors and sinners. It's a group. Okay. Not exactly a shining star. And yet Jesus chose him to be a disciple. And he ends up writing this book that we're reading and studying. Interesting. Then I think about John the Baptist. Do you remember, you know, this is a guy, okay, who lives in the desert, presumed by himself, He wears camel's hair. He eats insects and honey. Not your normal character, you no. Know? And yet. And yet, Jesus chooses him to be, to be that voice calling in the wilderness. He chooses him to be the one who make the way straight. He chooses Him to be the one who baptizes Jesus. Hmm. And then there's Jesus as himself. I want to turn us to um, Isaiah 53 for a second. We all know this, but it's important to... uh, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Charles Spurgeon writes a sermon on uh, those words. And I just want to read what he wrote. Uh, Ajaia describes the Lord Jesus as growing up as a tender plant, a weak branch, a suckling, a sapling, a plant that very readily might be destroyed. Our Lord Jesus Christ came in his humiliation and he appeared in great feebleness. Born as a helpless babe, he was in his infancy in great danger from the hand of Herod. And though he preserved, persevered, it was not was not by a powerful army, but by flight to another land. We learned from early sermons, er, sermons from Matt that, uh, you know, where, where um, Jesus came from wasn't exactly, you know, the good part of the place to be from Nazareth. Uh, you remember when uh, Philip runs over and invites his friend. Uh, uh, nathaniel to follow jesus what does nathaniel say he says i don't know can anything can anything good come from nazareth yeah jesus was not from the religious or political capital of jerusalem he wasn't even from judea He was from galilee from nazareth he was from the wrong side of the tracks which, again, Nathaniel says, can anything good from, come from Nazareth? It's a good question. Can it? Matthew makes reference to these humble beginnings by quoting Isaiah 9. He's noting that this is from the Galilee of the Gentiles that Jesus' ministries begins. It says, the land of Zebulun, in the land of Nephtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And yet from this beginning, the people who sat in darkness, who have, who have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region, the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So I'm, I'm going to take a funny little break, because uh, this is where I'm going to get sentimental. Um, Isaiah 9 is an amazing chapter in whole. I fully believe that Matthew knew exactly what he did, was doing when he quoted the first part of the chapter, which we're not used to reading, because he knew that we knew what comes next. So I consider this next passage to be one of the most beautiful and powerful prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah, about the kingdom. I have to admit, I can't read these words without hearing them sung. It goes on for about four minutes, and uh, so early on in my uh, Christian life, I was in a church choir, and uh, so I have I and my wife have sung this song many, many times. And and it just, I don't know, lifts my spirit in ways that are hard to explain. And it reminds me, so Frederick Handel wrote this in 1741, a little while ago. You know, this isn't exactly contemporary music. Um, Two and a half hours long, And almost all of the lyrics are directly from the Bible, this included. And when Handel decided to tell the story about the coming of Christ into the world, this is the passage he chose because it wasn't to him just about the birth, it was about the kingdom that would come with him. I think that's what Jesus is saying We're called into a kingdom. He, that kingdom. But I also want to note that that's a pattern. There's a pattern here with with God, with Jesus, with the kingdom that I think directly applies to us. These are humble beginnings. Matthew, John the Baptist, even the way in which God chose to bring his son into the world starts from the wrong side of the tracks. Starts as the least among all people. But it's from these people that God raises messengers to share the news. It ends with from the most, it says, For the most un, from the most unlikely, the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And that's the message from those the most unlikely. This is God's pattern. This is God's way. Matthew, John the Baptist, Jesus, and I'd say, and now, us. I'm going to turn to the Apostle Paul, and he writes in 1 Corinthians, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth." But God chose the foolish to make of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of the world and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. And I think this is where the message becomes very personal to us. And I think this is Jesus' message to us. The kingdom of God is present. It is with us. It was within, within us. It is here, is now. and here and now. It is not just some future hope. And I need to be mindful. We need to be mindful that the door to the kingdom is through repentance. Our entry through is through repentance. The gospel becomes ours when we acknowledge our need for it. And the essence of the kingdom is love. Our participation in the kingdom that is present among us and within us is through love. Love of the king, love of each other, love of our neighbor, love of our enemy. The work of the kingdom is ours. Because, well, can't you see? Who does God use? Who does God call? He calls the most unlikely. He calls us. How do we respond to that? Well, we're used to this slide, and I want to. We're called to respond in worship. But I want to expand on the word that means. I think it's really easy for us to say worship. Oh, yeah, that's singing. Okay? But I think it's much more. I think it means something more when we read what Paul says about this. And I want to just read this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Yeah, worship is singing, yeah. But it's also praying, it's also giving, it's also receiving too. It is a worship that is in response to our knowing that we are called, called and chosen to be messengers, called to be his family, his citizens of his kingdom.